Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome back to the Gospel for Life. I'm in the studio with Josh Bales and Phil Moran. Unfortunately, Jonathan is not with us today. Um, yesterday, we began working through some questions that a prisoner sent us. Um, this individual had molested his his daughter um, ended up in jail. We we um, believe that he has repented and come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, but that doesn't erase some of the questions that he's wrestling with. We began looking at some of those yesterday, um, and we're just going to pick up on some of that, dealing with God's sovereignty, our free will. So I'm going to just start with that question. Um, how does God's sovereignty and, and man's free will relate to each other? So really the underlying question is, how can God be sovereign and man still be responsible? Well, perhaps first we need to talk about the nature of free will and just that phrase, free will. And I, I'm, when somebody asks me about free will, I'm, I'm tempted to say, well, great, let's talk about Bigfoot too and the Loch Ness Monster. Show me some free will. Maybe the listener is wondering where, where on earth is this guy going? I used to believe in free will, but uh, the longer I live, the the more my own experience, but mostly the Word of God tells me that the will of human beings is broken and uh, twisted by sin. And human beings had free will in the garden, the way that God created us. But ever since the fall, ever, ever since uh, the sin of Adam and Eve, uh, human will has been in bondage. And one of the most influential books in my own personal spiritual journey I, I read when I was in college many years ago, uh, and it's by Martin Luther called The Bondage of the Will, that our will is not free. I, we're in bondage to sin. Uh, the Apostle Paul over and over again in his letters describes us as slaves of sin. Read the book of Romans. Uh, we're, we're, we're not free, we're, we are slaves. And so we cannot, on our own, choose good that matches the standard of God's goodness and God's righteousness. Uh, we can only make that choice if God, uh, when we are converted and, and when we are uh, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and when God moves in our lives to raise us from spiritual death to spiritual life. So Jonathan Edwards wrote a book called Freedom of the Will. Was he um, contradicting Luther? I mean, what we have one that's writing about the bondage of the will and the, somebody else, a Puritan, Jonathan Edwards, writing about the freedom of the will. What's, what's going on there? So his thesis was that uh, we always have the ability to choose our highest desire. The difference between that definition of freedom and the definition that the world gives is diametrically opposed to each other. So like the technical term today is called libertarian free will, where we have the ability to choose or to choose otherwise. 
Well, that, that's 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 patently false. Um, God can't choose to keep Jesus in the Trinity or kick Jesus out of the Trinity. God can't choose to tell a lie. God is constrained by His nature. And even man in his fallen state is what you were just saying, Phil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is what Luther's point was in the bondage of the will is that man is constrained by his sinful nature. So mm-hmm. yes, as a sinner, in one sense, we can choose this choice or that choice. But because our whole nature is broken, because the thoughts and intentions of man's heart are only evil all the time, we cannot choose good because we do not love good. We actually hate God. That's that's what the Bible says about man's nature over and over and over again. Does that help answer? Yeah, it does. Um, so just to summarize, Adam had the ability to do good according to the word of God. He had the ability to do evil according to the word of God. Every human being born after Adam only has the freedom to do what they want to do, which unfortunately doesn't is, include good. That's right. Mm-hmm. So even in the case where somebody, somebody might say, wait, wait a second, I know unbelievers who build hospitals. Okay, so the act in itself, building a hospital, that's a good thing. The question is, is what was the heart motive behind that act? And if it wasn't for the glory of God, then that action in 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 God's court is not considered a righteous action. Mm-hmm. So how can God be sovereign and man have um, be still responsible, have freedom? Can I, can I answer this question the way that Paul does? Yes. <laughs> so Paul actually answered this question, and he gives two answers, but the first answer, because sometimes people ask that question in a very arrogant way, and Paul, you know, Paul's like a great lawyer. If you're ever re- reading the book of Romans, he'll make a statement, then he'll say, aha, but you say this, and then he answers the objection. He does it several times throughout the book of Romans. In Romans 9, he makes this grand statement in verse 18, where he says, so then, or therefore, God God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. And he's talking about Pharaoh back in Exodus, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, God didn't have to inject evil into to Pharaoh's heart in order for Pharaoh to do what he was going to do. He just had to withhold the grace that Pharaoh needed in order to make righteous choices. But immediately, Paul basically says, aha, but you will say to me then, why does God still find fault? for who can resist his will. In other words, the question that you just asked, uh, how can God's, God be sovereign and man still have free will? And this is how Paul answers. Who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? In other words, you know, maybe you're struggling with God's sovereignty and you're getting flippant about it. God is basically saying, don't I have the right to be God? Mm-hmm. You are a creature. What do you think you're talking about? Mm-hmm. I've heard R.C. Sproul say um, so many times over his teaching career that God is absolutely sovereign, but man is not, does not have an absolute free will. That both of you can't say that God is absolutely sovereign and man is absolutely free because those are a contradiction. Um, they both can't be true. 
Right. So what we hold to biblically is that God is absolutely sovereign and man is limited in his freedom. You can't have two sovereigns because once you have two sovereigns, then you don't have any sovereign. Mm -hmm. And so I think R.C. Sproul was very helpful in saying, okay, no, we need to do some adjusting on how we think of a person's free will. The a related question to all of this, um, he, this, the prisoner, specifically says about his daughter that he had molested, why did God not protect my daughter from me since he's fully sovereign? So he's saying God has the ability to prevent actions like I committed against my daughter. Why didn't he do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... And this can apply in lots of different areas. It this could just apply to... to well, sure, this could apply to any sin or any evil, any wickedness that's in the world. And, and it, gets, it gets back to the, what's called among theologians, it's called the theodicy question. Why does a God who is all-powerful and all-good allow evil? Mm-hmm. And no one can say, and the, the, I'm, I'm looking at uh, James chapter 1, and this is a verse that I quoted in our show just the other day, and I'll, I'll quote it again. James chapter 1 and verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. God's sovereignty does not mean we're automatons. God's sovereignty does not mean that God dictates and controls our every thought and action. Uh, it means he's sovereign over every thought and action, but does not dictate every thought and action because God's not the author of evil. And in that sense, we we do have we do have freedom. Uh, we just don't have freedom to choose the good apart from Christ and apart from the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The way that God works in the world, and the way that the way the way that God has chosen to work in the world. God's way of saving the world is not by dictating every thought and every action and overruling every human decision. You know, in the book of Job, Job is right in the middle of the Old Testament wisdom literature or the beginning of Old Testament wisdom literature. And it deals with this idea of theodicy. If, if God is good and powerful, then why is there evil in the world? And it starts out, as you know, Satan shows up in heaven and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And, and in the end, God gives permission for Satan to essentially decimate Job's life. And the, the question of the whole book is, God, why is this happening to me? Job's friends assign the fact that Job must be a sinner. Job declares he's innocent. In the end, God says, no, Job, you, you were innocent. But then the question never, in one sense, the question never gets answered, God, why did you do this? Right. Um, Instead, what God does from chapters 38 to 41 is, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Yes. Where were you when I put the oceans in their place and that said, this far shall you go and no further? Did you give the ostrich wisdom? Did you store up lightning? Did you store up rain? And what God is doing is he's, he's unfolding his glory to Job. And in the end, he never gives him the reason for why he did it. But Job put his hand over his mouth and said, <clears throat> I have seen or I have heard of God with the hearing of the ear. Now I have seen him. I repent in dust and ashes. Job got a sight of God's glory. 
Now, this might be unsatisfying to, to people today, but I would argue that, you know, God's ultimate purpose. So, so I don't know what his many purposes are, his smaller purposes are in, in relation to this question, why did God not protect my daughter? But God's ultimate purpose no doubt for every single event in the universe is to de- display something wonderful and merciful and great or just about himself. And, and, and oftentimes in the Bible, that's where the Bible leaves us. Yes. And in, in, thank you for that, Josh. And let me just a- add to it, if I may. Ultimately, Christians do not have an answer for the question, why does an all-powerful and all-good God allow evil? What we do is we look to the innocent Son of God nailed to a cross and suffering. We, we look to the innocent Son of God nailed to a cross, and we point to him. And we say there is no evil so dark, so wicked, that God cannot turn it for good. That's, that's the sovereignty of God over evil that he takes even the most evil action in all of history, which was the crucifixion of the innocent Son of God, the darkest evil ever committed in this world, and God turned it for good. Well, you've been listening to The Gospel for Life, and we will see you tomorrow. 